Welcome to the Life Together podcast. Life Together is a Wednesday gathering for worship, Bible study, and community at Discover Church in Oak Creek, Wisconsin. We hope that this week's message will encourage you and challenge you. Our mission here at Discover Church is to reach our world for Christ as we lead people to discover and become who God has created them to be. Matthew chapter 5, verse 27 through 30, the word of the Lord says this. You have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery, but I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Let's pray as we get started tonight. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that there is power and truth in every part of your word and that the timelessness of your word is going to impact our lives tonight. There is something that you want to say to us tonight, and I pray that we would be open to your voice, and I pray that you would allow your spirit to move amongst us. Let us be a people who are easy to get our attention. We love you, and we give you thanks in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So tonight is week two in a four-week series called You've Heard It Said. We are in the heart of the book of Matthew, in the heart of the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus is going through teaching, and there are six times in this chapter that he says, you've heard it said. We're compacting it down to four weeks, and tonight we're going to look at as Jesus is bringing new perspective to the laws of God. Matthew 5, 17 says, don't misunderstand why I have come. You know, a lot of people have misunderstood why Jesus came. He says, I want to help you out. So don't misunderstand. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. Man, I want to live a life of purpose. Don't you want to live a life of purpose that I'm not just checking boxes, I'm not just filling out forms, but I am making decisions in my life to live a life of purpose. Every time I cross the border from Wisconsin into Illinois, I'm reminded, because I have a good friend who lives in Illinois, and he's taught me this, that Illinois is a hands-free driving state. So if you are driving through Illinois and you don't have your hands-free device and you have your hand up to your ear with a cell phone, um, you can get pulled over and get a fine doing that. So I know this, and so I have to follow the rules, because that's the rules. It's clearly spoken. There is a penalty to this law, and, and you have to follow the rules. Now, now, what if I was driving through Illinois, and I, I really had to make a phone call? But, hands-free state, so I decide, you know what? I'm not going to use my hands. I am going to open the laptop next to me and go to a video call, take the laptop, put it on the dashboard in front of me, open that up in front of the steering wheel, and go driving down the highway at 80 miles an hour. Am I still going to get a ticket? Yes! But I'm not using my hands. I am following the letter of the law, and yet somehow I have missed the purpose of the law. Last week, Mandy's talk was inspired by the sixth commandment, you shall not murder. The letter of the law is don't kill anyone, but the purpose of the law is don't hate. Don't despise others or diminish others. If you let anger run your life, it will ruin your life. So forgive, 
reconciled. That is the purpose of the sixth commandment. Tonight we're looking at the seventh commandment where Jesus references the seventh commandment, do not commit adultery. And we want Jesus to help us not get lost in the letter of the law, but to truly understand the purpose of the law. So adultery was very common during the, the time of Christ. And really, adultery has always been common just because sexual temptation and lust have always been common. It's almost laughable when a new generation rises up and they kind of act like they invented sex. Like, you're like, ah, oh, Grandpa never felt this way. Well, if Grandpa never felt this way, you wouldn't be here. So, and it is this age-old. And so this word, so it's important that we remember when, we're, when we really need to tune into a word the Bible's using, it's important for us to remember that the Bible wasn't written in English. And so the word adultery in Greek, when you see it in the New Testament, is mochaia. And this word has a really strong English translation. So from the Greek word to the English word, they're very the same. So I'm going to give you the definition of the Greek word, and I want you to to comment on how close it is to the English word. So the Greek word means the voluntary sexual relations between a married person and someone other than the person's current spouse. So that's how the Bible defines adultery, and that would be very similar to the way that we would define adultery today. So when the Bible says, do not commit adultery, it means what you think it means. In order for it to be adultery, someone has to be married. And in order for it to be adultery, it has to be voluntary. So rape would not count as adultery. That's what it is. Now, there's another word that I want to look at that's a little more confusing. And since we're on this topic tonight, I think it would be helpful for us to talk about this word. And it's the Greek word pornia. So this word is used over 25 times in the New Testament. So you would think... If a word is used 25 times, it would be good for us to know what that word means. And what's confusing about this word is it does not have a great match from the Greek language to the English language. There's a struggle that happens to find a word in our language that means the same. And so depending on what Bible translation you're using, you might have a different word than the person sitting next to you as they're translating the Greek word Pornia. So if you have an older translation, it's probably going to use the word fornication, which is a word that most people don't use in their everyday language. They don't really know what that word means, which is why they've gone hunting to find a different word or a better word. If you have a newer translation, it's probably going to say um, all kinds of sexual immorality or all types of sexual immorality. And they're trying to kind of catch this umbrella feeling of what that word means but it's still not a great definition because it doesn't specifically explain to you what behaviors are being pointed at. So if someone tells me that I'm supposed to stay away from all kinds of sexual immorality, well, who then decides what is sexually immoral? Because if it's moral or immoral, well, that sounds like a decision someone has to make. Well, then why can't I make that decision? And so if I have an activity, a behavior that I'm engaged in, and I decide that it's moral, well, then I'm kind of off the hook from what the Bible's talking. And here's the problem. The problem is, is that we don't get to decide what language means. So when you see the word pornia in the New Testament, we shouldn't be asking ourselves, what does all kinds of sexual morality mean to me? 
we should be asking, what does the word pornaya mean to Jesus? In his time, when he was saying the word, what did the word mean? So I have researched this with people who are far smarter than me. If you are the type of person who would like to know where my uh, research is from, I would be happy to share that with you after the service. But here's what the word pornaya during biblical times meant. It is an umbrella term of a bunch of different sexual activities and this is what it covers. So prostitution, pedophilia, homosexuality, incest, premarital sex, bestiality, adultery. So I know that with our modern sensibilities, when we see this list, um, your heart might do what my heart does and go, well, not, that's not all the same. Like, like those aren't those don't seem like they should all be on the same list. And Jesus isn't saying that they're all the same. He's not saying that they're all equal, but he is saying that they are all sin. And that all of those behaviors belong under this category of pornaya. And so when he is saying, stay away from all kinds of sexual immorality, these are the behaviors that he is talking about. They're, all, they're not the same, but they're all sin. Why? Because they all separate us from God. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 through 20 says, Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. When we sin sexually, we are taking something that is holy and we are treating it in an unholy way. Proverbs 6.32 says, but the man who commits adultery is an utter fool for he destroys himself. I just want to remind you tonight that God's law, the purpose of God's law is love. God created you. He knows you. He loves you. He sent his only son to the manger in Bethlehem, to the cross on Calvary, to be reunited with you, to forgive you, to adopt you, and to keep you from destroying yourself. John 10.10 says, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life, a life that is free from sexual sin, is a rich and satisfying life. Jesus says, you've heard it, do not commit adultery. But that's not the purpose of the law, to give you just one more thing you can't do. The purpose of the law is for you to live a rich and satisfying life, free from sexual sin. Let's return to the main text by rereading Matthew 5.28. But I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. I want to spend the remainder of our time tonight talking about desire. I could use the word lust or temptation, but I really want to talk about the things in life that pull us in, that capture our attention, that fill us with desire. Last week, I had lunch with a young man here at the church who just got to go on his first date with a new love interest, and he's so excited, and he should be excited. That is part of God's design for his life and for her life. There is godly desires that he has placed in us, and yet, because of the presence of sin in this world, our desires can be twisted. Desire can be misled. Jesus says, if you are committing adultery, you are being misled by desire. Jesus says, and even if you only look at a person lustfully, 
you are being misled by desire. Near the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus teaches everyone how to pray. And he concludes his prayer with a line we're all familiar with. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Jesus says, whenever you pray, there's one part you really should always keep in your prayer. And the one part you really should keep in your prayer is that when you pray, ask God to help you with your desires. Because every single one of us are capable of being misled by desire. And we need God's help to not fall to temptation and to remain locked on him and not misled. There was a comedian in the mid-1900s by the name of Robert Orton, and he said it like this. Most people want to be delivered from temptation, but would like it to keep in touch. We don't want it, but, but we do. We, we, we want to be free, and yet lust can feel like an old friend. When a man or a woman is being misled by desire, it's amazing what we can convince ourselves of. It's not a big deal. No one will ever know. I deserve this. It's just this one time. Well, at least it's not fill in the blank. Desire can be intoxicating. Desire can be paralyzing. So how do we guard our hearts from being misled by desire? In our main passage, Jesus offers a solution, but I'm going to warn you, his solution is pretty radical. It's a radical solution for a radical problem. Can we reread verses 29 and 30? So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. This advice is shocking. It's shocking to us. It was shocking to them back in the New Testament. The New Testament was written in a time period when gruesome punishments were applied, and they would have been more familiar with this fear than you are. They would have known if I get caught stealing or accused of treason or caught in adultery, I could lose a hand or an eye or my very life. And certainly nothing could be worse than that. And Jesus says, yes, there is something worse than that. Being disconnected from God is worse than that. I want to share with you tonight three strategies to not be misled by desire. And the first is this, recognize desire quickly. You know, did, did Eve realize that the fruit was dangerous? Well, you know, not at the beginning. She seemed confused. She seemed unsure. The enemy is so talented at disguising desire. It's so easy to be trapped before you realize that it's a trap. Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. There is going to be desire in my life that I cannot see without the guidance of the Holy Spirit. You know, that's a little intimidating, right? That there are things, there are motivations in my heart right now today that I can't see. 
And the only way I'm going to become aware of them is if the Holy Spirit brings light into my life and shows me where my sinful motivations are at. You know, if you're sitting here during the sermon and your conclusion is, ah, I'm fine. I'm not going to, I, I don't ever get bothered by any of that. I'm not going to get tempted by any of that. I would challenge you to rethink your response because every single one of us needs the help of the Holy Spirit to identify desire and to, and to quickly identify desire that would mislead us. If you can see what it is, you have the opportunity to run away from it. You know, when Joseph is a slave in Egypt, it is his master's wife who comes to him one day in broad daylight and says, Joseph, come to bed with me. And what if Joseph's first reaction was, I bet she's just sleeping. I bet maybe she's doing some redecorating in her bedroom, needs me to help move an armoire. Let's go walk in there and see what's going on. He was wise enough to recognize desire quickly. I'm sorry, it sounds dumb, but we've all made some very, very uh, unintelligent decisions when it comes to recognizing desire. Christian ladies, oh, we're just, he's just like my brother. If you don't have his same last name, he's not your brother. (laughs) And we need to recognize desire quickly in order to make wise decisions. So Joseph recognizes desire quickly, and then what does he do next? He runs. The second strategy I want to share with you tonight is to react to desire aggressively. I was talking to a young woman in the past couple months who has gotten out of recently a very emotionally abusive relationship. And on a good day, her thinking is very clear. She understands that God has led her out of this relationship. She understands that there is no going back and that God has a better and brighter future for her. And so we're talking through all of this. And I said, I'm so thankful for that. I'm so thankful to hear you saying that. I'm so thankful that God has led you out of this relationship. And that makes today a good day. But now can we stop and can we talk about a bad day? So what happens if it's a bad day and things go really poorly at work and your manager is really rude to you and on the drive home you get a flat tire, none of your friends respond to your text, and then at 10.30 at night he texts you, hey girl, I miss you so much. What do you do then? And she was very honest with me and she paused and she said, "I, I don't know. And so we, we spend the rest of our time talking, constructing a plan of how we can protect ourselves and react aggressively to desire. It's not a passive plan. It's not a backup plan. It is the first plan. It is an offensive plan. It is an aggressive plan to guard our hearts against being misled by desire. I want to share with you uh, a few ways that we can run, and I want to share a few radical ideas that might get your creativity running in your brain about how you can react aggressively to desire. If you're struggling to break off an unhealthy relationship, why not change your phone number? Why not change your email? Why not get off of social media? All those things are far easier than cutting off a hand or gouging out an eye. If you're married and you're tempted to have an affair, why not cut that person out of your life completely? Why not switch jobs or switch gyms or change friend groups? Why not tell your spouse? Because I promise you, if you tell your spouse that person's name, they will make sure you never see them again. 
it will instantly be over. I understand that sounds radical, but all those things are far easier than losing a hand or losing an eye. I want to specifically address the temptation of pornography. You know, the access that we have today to pornography is unlike anything in history. If my, you know, in my dad's generation, if, if someone in my dad's generation wanted to access pornography, they had to get in, in their car, they had to have a car, they had to drive their car to somewhere that was disre disreputable, they had to hope that no one saw their car while they were at that place, walk inside and with money, purchased a magazine filled with still images. Okay. Today, when you see a school bus drive by with a bunch of middle schoolers sitting on their smartphones, every one of those students has access to everything. Unless they have godly parents who have put in godly safeguards into their phone, they have access to everything. That prevalence of that temptation is so strong, and it must be responded to aggressively. There has to be an aggressive reaction. God never instructs us to walk away from temptation. He always tells us to do run, to run. And if you want to get out of the temptation of pornography or you want to help one of your kids get out of the temptation of pornography, don't pick a passive plan. Do something crazy. It would be better to not have a phone in the house or a TV in the house or a computer in the house than to lose a hand or lose an arm or lose a child to the saving relationship they have with Jesus Christ. Amen? Here's uh, our third strategy for tonight is to repent from desire communally. So it is not a sin to be tempted, but lust is a sin. It's not a glance, but it is the gaze. It's not the first look but it is the lingering. It's the imagining and focusing and worshiping. And you cannot conquer this alone. James 5.16 says, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Man, I am so thankful for the friends that God has given me in my life. I have had accountability partners in this area since I was 18, and God has done such a great work, and I have gotten to see wonderful results in their life and my life, and that's what I want to see in your life. I want to see God give you wonderful results when it comes to guarding your heart against being misled by desire. There is so much shame associated with sexual sin. There is so much shame associated with same-sex attraction and gender confusion and our sexual history that it can cause everyone in this room to feel so alone when it comes to the topic of sexual temptation. We can feel like we are the only person experiencing this and the only person that we can talk to, and we're left so very alone. You know, we in the church have not historically done a great job when it comes to receiving confession. We often can find ourselves leaning away at a moment where we absolutely need to be leaning in towards someone who has made a very brave step to share with you something that brings shame. The church needs to be a place of freedom where we are constantly singing and shouting the grace of God that conquers all sin and conquers all shame. I want to encourage you tonight that if you're someone 
who is carrying the weight of shame, there is a great lift in the ability for you to communicate that to someone else. And that can feel so scary, but I want to give you some counsel tonight on how to go about doing that. You know, the only forgiveness that you need is the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. His voice is the only voice that you need, but sometimes it's very helpful to have a human voice echo the goodness of God so that you can hear someone tell you that your sins are forgiven. That, that sanctity, that safety within Christian brotherhood and sisterhood can mean so much. In a room this large, I know I've got someone who is still carrying shame from a sexual experience they had not a year ago or five years ago, but 20, 30, or 40, or 50 years ago. God wants to see that burden lifted off of you. His forgiveness is strong enough. He is good enough. His grace is complete. And when he challenges us to step forward in the discipline of confession, we can see new levels of freedom. Sin loves to be in the dark. Shame loves to keep it in the dark. And when we bring our sin into the light, it becomes so very, very weak. I want to offer five pieces of wise counsel to you tonight for those who would consider moving forward in the discipline of confession and how to do that. So one, do not confide in someone of the opposite gender. Brothers speak to brothers, and sisters need sisters. Um, you know, even for, for married people, it's very important that your marriage relationship is the closest friendship, the most important relationship that you have. It's also really important that your marriage is not your only friendship or the only important relationship that you have. Brothers need brothers and sisters need sisters. Number two, do not confide in someone going through a similar struggle or dealing with the same temptation. The Bible calls this the blind leading the blind. And so we can often find, it might feel easier. You're like, oh, it's easier to talk to them because they're going through the same thing I'm going through. That might feel easier, but it's not safer and it's not wiser. If you want to see victory, you need to go talk to someone who has experienced victory, who has conquered the battle that you are trying to conquer yourself. Number three, do confide in someone who is both trustworthy and available. And this is a really important combination of trustworthy and available. So if I name some trustworthy people, Pastor Brooks, Pastor Jerry, and Sherry, they are phenomenally trustworthy people. But can they be your person to every person in this church? They can't, right? There's, there's, there's too many of us. And so what's really important is that you find someone who is available, someone who can add you to their prayer list, someone who can check in with you, and that can be that constant person both trustworthy and available. Number four, in a new relationship. So if you're looking, if you're saying, Holy Spirit, I know that I need someone to walk with me through this life, someone to be a Christian mentor to me, someone who I can confess my sins to. I, I need to know who that person is. If you're walking down that journey, I want to encourage you that in a new relationship, start small, right? So, so oversharing is a, a dangerous place to be, where someone just jumps straight in and shares you the whole thing. It's better in a new relationship to start small. Start with talking about how your week went this week. And then you're going to learn to see how that person responds. 
And if over the period of weeks and months, that person shows to you to be a trustworthy person, someone who's going to keep coming back, checking in with you, then you can grow that relationship to deeper and deeper levels. Some of the friends that I've been connecting with for 20 years, you know, it's just such a great gift because even now at 40, we are more honest than we were at 25 that God can lead us into deeper levels of trust. He can uncover deeper levers of his goodness in us as our relationships grow deeper. Number five, in a new relationship, create a rhythm. So girls are usually better at this because they're more social and they're always connecting. For guys, it's a discipline we need to accompany our relationships with. So when you create a new relationship and you have a good conversation, if you want that to continue, there needs to be a pattern. So it needs to be, hey, could we get together for coffee the first Friday of the month? Or can I sit at your table at Life Together every week? Or can we uh, get on the phone just once a month on the first Thursday? There has to be some plan, some pattern Because without that, you're just quickly going to fall out of relationship, and we need to stay in relationship. I want to close tonight by reading a passage out of Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. This is a, a famous passage that just really focuses in on the battle of temptation that we all are facing. And I want to use it as a way to conclude our talk tonight and to encourage each of us to move forward in our relationship with Christ and see so many good things. I know that this struggle is so real. I know that when we walk into this topic, it it touches on some very sensitive uh, subjects and places in life that can bring a true sense of brokenness. And I I hope that the word of God tonight is the thing that, that sits in your heart, that it's not my words, but it's his words. And we allow to see that God's care and love and affection for your life is for you to live an abundant, fulfilled, rich, and satisfying life, free from sexual desire. Verse 5 through 11 says this, So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, which is this word, pornaya, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world, But now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other. For you have stripped off your old sinful natures and all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you are a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. Let's pray together tonight. Father, we love you. We thank you that your spirit is in this room tonight. And I pray, Lord, that you would do a good work in this room. I pray that we would be listening carefully to the words you're speaking to us right now. I pray for people in this room who either now or in the past have battled with sexual uh, immorality, who have battled with sexual addiction, who have battled with pornography. And I pray, Lord, tonight that you would speak to us words of wisdom. I pray for those who need to react aggressively to desire. 
And I pray that you would both give us the clarity of what to do and then give us the bravery to do it. If we sit on this and wait for a week, nothing's going to happen. But I pray, Lord, that if you would give us the activity to not walk away from desire, but to run away from sinful desire, we need your spirit to guide us. And I pray, Lord, that you would just anoint lives tonight with the grit and the bravery to do the things that you're speaking to them right now. I pray for anyone who needs to step out of an unhealthy, either a sexually unhealthy or an emotionally unhealthy relationship. I pray, Lord, that you would allow a fire to burn inside of them. I pray that you would call them. I pray that you would call them to connect this very night with a Christian brother or sister and confess their sins and make a plan for how they are going to aggressively react to sinful desire. Lord, I, I want to see good things in this church. I want to pray for everyone in this room who has the opportunity to be a mentor, a mentor in this church, a parent, a grandparent. And I pray, Lord, that you would teach us how to speak words of wise counsel. We do not want to send our, our kids out into this world alone. We want to send them out fully equipped with the righteousness of God, fully equipped with your word to go into battle. I pray, Lord, that you would give us the, the, the right words. Tell us when to speak, when to be quiet, when to pray, when to ask really good questions. And I pray, Lord, that that anointing would be on us. I pray for the children of this church. I pray, Lord, that you would protect our kids from sexual impurity. I pray that you would uh, protect them from sexual predators and that the children of this church would grow up in a safe and loving environment, that they would grow up in a place with great examples of healthy marriage. I pray, Lord, that you would give that gift to our children. I pray for our teenagers tonight who are meeting over in our youth area. I pray, Lord, that you would call those kids by name. I pray that they would know who they are, that they are sons and daughters of the King. I pray that you would allow your, uh, your strength to be with them tonight for those who are battling with sexual impurity and sexual temptation. I pray that you would call them to your side, surround them with strong mentorship, and give them the victory in Jesus' name. We want to see you do great things through this church. We want to see you do great things in our families. We want to see you do great things in our marriages. And I pray, Lord, that we would just, uh, uh, we would just be a people who are totally surrendered to you. Christ is all that matters. We love you tonight. We give you praise. We thank you for the safety of this room. And I pray, Lord, that the good work you've done tonight will continue to be done in our actions, in our attitudes, in our words, and in our worship. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. I've got a closing question for you tonight. It is, Kathy, uh, yeah, give me the first one. Share your darkest temptation. I'm just kidding. That was the joke one. What's the next one? <laughs> okay, so the next... <laughs> <laughs> you, you thought I made a mistake. Uh, share about a friend, book, or idea that has helped you mature in the way you respond to desire. So you could say, um, you know, I'm so thankful that my parents were a good influence here. Or I had a friend in college who really helped me out. You know, a book, a book that I've read is... Um, Every Man's Battle is a great book. There's also Every Woman's Battle. And that was something that really helped me in my young adult ages, in my young adult age, to help create good disciplines and good habits in this area. The other two things I wanted to mention before we walk out the door are just resources. 
Um, Covenant Eyes is a really great resource for those who are trying to walk away from uh, a habit of pornography, as well as it's called triplexchurch.com, xxxchurch.com. is also a phenomenal resource for people who are wanting to change their habits. I would highly recommend any of those. Or idea, you know, something that was said in the sermon tonight, something that helps uh, you to come from where you had been to where you are now. We all need to encourage each other as we continue to be more like Jesus. Amen? Have a great night. We'll look forward to seeing you next week. Next week, we're going to talk about promises. We'll see you then. Thank you so much for being with us for the Life Together podcast. It's even better when we see you in person. Join us Wednesday mornings at 10 a.m. or Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. right here at Discover Church. Find us online at discoverchurch.org.